What do Japanese bowls in Chelmsford, Jamaican gun crime, and schools in Peckham all have in common? Well, today's guess might just be the answer to that. Welcome to the final episode in this series of the Make You Known podcast. For our grand finale today, we are honoured to have uh, as our guest an Essex lad with an OBE who's devoted the former part of his life to uh, fighting knife crime and turning around the lives of youths on the streets of suburban London and uh, now is tackling the rising tide of mental health issues on a, on a global level. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Patrick Regan of Kintsugi Hope. You can find him at www.kintsugihope.com. That's all one word, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I-H-O-P-E.com. They're on Instagram, also at Kintsugi Hope. And Patrick is on Instagram at PatrickRegan2726, I believe. That's true, yeah. There was 2,275 Patricks (laughs) before. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, uh, he's also the author of several books, and uh, the one I've been reading is Honesty Over Silence, and I would definitely recommend you check that out. Um, today, we're going to be talking about mental health, and Patrick, we're thrilled that you're here with us. Um, so before we talk about mental health generally and stuff like that, I'd just like to get a bit of a picture of you and your journey. So could you just share with us your testimony, like why are you a Christian, and how has that survived your mental health uh, struggles? Yeah, I guess I, I, I've got one of those testimonies which is very similar to a lot of people that are brought up in a Christian family where I became a Christian at a very young age. Um, but I think with lots of people that have been through that experience, um, I, there's a time where your faith becomes more your faith than your parents' faith. Um, I think that was probably when I was 16 and uh, I went to Waterloo and to do a, a sort of mission there and spent a lot of time working with the homeless and uh uh, working in a place called Kabul City, and uh, and I remember sitting there, and uh, there's one guy um, in a circle with homeless guys. One guy had begged enough to get a hamburger, and he took uh, the hamburger and passed it around the circle, and everyone took a bite out of it each, and he handed it to me, and I thought, oh my goodness, um, I have everything, you have nothing, and yet you're sharing out of your poverty. And written in the walls of Kabul City were the words, "Welcome to reality." And I think at that point, like my sort of Christian bubble burst um, and, you know, that whole thing in James 2.17, faith without action is dead. Um, and realised that actually um, just God just became much more real at that moment and uh, living my faith out. And what does that look like um, as well? So, so yeah, so it's, it's a journey, you know, that I, I guess there's been lots of journeys, uh, ups and downs in that. Yeah, and and through your struggles, you've been through your your faith has has that kind of underpinned. Has that helped you through, or or how have you fought with it? Or yeah, I mean, definitely fought with it. I think that um, you talk about struggles. It, I feel like everyone goes through what's all I, I describe as the Tetris moment. Do you remember the game Tetris? Yeah. Um, all these blocks fall out of the sky, and you're trying to get them in a straight line, and. And, uh, and then once you've got them in a straight line, it's a computer game and then the line disappears and more blocks start coming in and they get faster and faster and faster. And then eventually you think, oh my goodness, it's like game over. 
And I think for me, I went through a period where everything went wrong. You know, I physically got very, very ill. Uh, my kids got really, really ill. My dad got cancer. We lost a baby, um, a miscarriage, uh, you know, started struggling with anxiety. And it just starts start caving in. And, and it's really, really hard. And I think that... Um, it often feels like a perfect storm of things going wrong at the same time. You know, why they all have to go wrong at the same time, I have no idea. And um, and I think at that point, I was like, God, why is this happening? And and I think some of the theology that I was brought up with um, wasn't particularly helpful. You know, I was prayed for so many times when I didn't get healed. I ended up just feeling guilty. You know, I ended up feeling sorry for the people praying for me because they were so passionate and then I was told I had some unhidden sin in my life that I needed to repent of. And I repented of every sin that I could possibly think of. I even made some up just to make sure, um, you know, and it was just like, God, what is going on? And uh, and I realized that, you know, sometimes prayer isn't a magic wand. Um, I think that sometimes we've almost treated it like zap. You're OK. Yeah. And uh and faith is actually a massive journey. And, and just that sense of God with us, I think, um, sometimes is what people need when they're going through a tough time. Um, there isn't, you know, stuff happens, whether you're Christian, whether you're not a Christian. Um, I wrote a book called When Faith Gets Shaken, and I was inundated with responses from people of faith and no faith going, oh, it's just nice to have something that's honest and real. And, uh, you know, um, yeah. and I think that's really important in our journey. So, yeah, it's it's less black and white now and probably a bit greyer, um, I have to say, but, um, but that's okay. I'm quite comfortable with that. Yes, I think that's the reality, isn't it, for, mm. for many people? And Yeah. Um, so you've had uh, depression and anxiety, is that correct? Um, yeah, I mean, um, I think more, uh, definitely have had both, but more struggle ongoing with anxiety. Um, and I think that, you know, I think a lot of people it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because there are moments where you, I think I've learned to manage it a lot better now. Um, and so I'm doing good, but, um, but yeah, it is a tough thing. Yeah. So, so could you talk us through, like, do you have any daily habits or techniques or things that you were dealing with these conditions? So say you wake up on a random Tuesday morning. And I don't know how it is for you, because I mean, that's, I suppose, one of the things we might talk about in a bit about mental health. Is it seems to be like it can be quite different from person to person. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you like if you wake up and you're just like, oh, I know it's one of those days, the clouds hanging over me or the knot in my stomach is there. Yeah. Um, what's your go to? What do you do? Um, I think for me, exercise is really important. Um, so I wear a Fitbit and uh, one of my things is is I try and do 5,000 steps before lunch <laughs> and don't always succeed. But there is a real sense of being able to actually, uh, like, and sometimes it's, comes easy and sometimes it's a real decision um of you know of your will and so like this morning like i got into work and actually instead of going into the office i actually walked for 20 minutes um so i think sometimes just allowing yourself that space exercise is really important i think it's not so much um what it's not always what you do it's what you don't do um so if you're like someone that struggles with health anxiety um the worst thing is going to dr google for a diagnosis you know because then that just sets your brain going um because um suddenly you come up with some very rare disease um you know i'm saying to my wife um i've got a headache but in my head it's a brain tumor um and she's like just take some paracetamol you'll be okay and don't go to Dr. Google anymore. Um, so sometimes it's, it's necessarily the things you don't do. And I think the other thing is, is just a habit of, um, 
realizing about being kind to yourself that actually I think sometimes when you wake up, you feel anxious. The next, particularly as a Christian, you're like, then you feel guilty <laughs> because, like, um, you should be trusting God. Um, so actually, it's just cutting yourself some slack and going, you know, what? I'm not going to go there in that sort of self beat myself up mode, um, which then just one thing leads to another and you get yourself into a really dark place. So, so it is about what you do, but it's also what you choose not to do, I think is um, important. Yeah, that, that's helpful because you, you mentioned there about feeling guilty and I think that's a big thing. And I sometimes yeah. think for Christians who suffer with mental health problems, they've obviously got an advantage in, in knowing the sort of where they fit in the grand narrative of things and the hope of you know eternity and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, so in that respect, it's better for them. But for some respects, it's worse because you almost feel like there's this obligation to be a happy, you know, bright kind of person who almost has it together, which which is not which is not right. Correct? Yeah, I think I think it's um, and that's interesting. Is it is whether that comes from Christian culture or church culture or comes from the Bible, <laughs> and which I suggest it's probably the first and. Um, and I think it is challenging because guilt is like, you know, there's two types of guilt. There's true guilt and false guilt. Um, true guilt is actually quite helpful. It means that, you know, I say to my workers, if you're late every day for work, um, I'd quite like you to feel guilty. Um, just get up on earlier and get there on time. Um, so true guilt can push you to be better. False guilt is actually often feeling guilty over things that you have no control over. And uh, so I often talk about the shoulds, the must, I oughts. You know, I should be okay. I ought to be better. I must pull myself together. Um, and that narrative we can say over ourselves a lot of the time. And uh, and I think that's the challenge. And uh, the shoulds, the must, the oughts, you know, is, is actually how often do we go through that every single day? Um, and guilt, guilt is really a hard thing to deal with. It is a very, um, it's very, very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, could you just tell us before we dive in a bit more into all that stuff, um, a little bit about Kintsugi Hope? And, yeah. and it, I was looking at your stuff and it seems like you have fingers in a lot of pies. There's a lot going on, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing. Um, I mean, I, I think in some ways Kintsugi obviously is a Japanese word that means golden joinery. So the whole idea is if you get a bowl and we break it um, and, uh, you know, in, in the UK, we'd probably mend it with super glue and we'd pretend it's all fantastic and uh, it looks OK. What they do in Japan is they put a gold powder in the glue. So instead of hiding the cracks, they make a feature of the cracks. So arguably the object becomes more beautiful than it was before. It certainly becomes more unique. And I think that's an, an incredible metaphor for our lives in the sense that beauty comes out of brokenness, that our scars are not there to be ashamed of. Um, you will not find one kintsugi bowl that looks like another kintsugi bowl. Um, um, completely unique. And uh, so Kintsugi Hope was really built with that sort of thing. And we realized that um, there were a lot of people out there creating awareness around mental health issues, um, which is brilliant. But a lot of people going, all right, I get it. Um, now what? And then we'll go, go to the doctors and go on a two-year waiting list. Um, and, you know, services are, are just being stretched. And so we wanted to create something where people could get support. And uh, so we created the Kintsugi Wellbeing Groups, which is a little bit like, I, I sort of describe it as Weight Watchers for Wellbeing. You know, it's like, get some friends, get some tools and deal with all these issues that we all face in our lives. And so it's been incredible. It's a 12 week program, happens uh, at the moment on Zoom, but also in person. And it's happening in pubs and coffee shops and schools and prisons. Um, it's happening in people's homes. 
and uh, and we train people up to run it basically. So there's there's hundreds of these things now happening all over the UK, which is really exciting. Um, so yeah, so that's that's our key focus in Kintsugi Hope is just training churches up to run those um, as a way of inputting. Yeah, it's like someone said to me once. I thought it's a really good point. Is if you have cancer you'll go to the hospital and they will give you chemo and radiotherapy and all the medical intervention you need. But to get through a cancer journey, you need love, support, commitment, fellowship, you know, company. And it's the same in mental health. You know, we've got to let the professionals do what the professionals do. We shouldn't try and do what they do. That's dangerous. Um, but to get through a cancer journey, you need those things. And it's with mental health as well. You need those things. You need friendship, company, you know. Um, we all have mental health the way we have physical health. We're all on a continuum. And so we want to invest in that the way you'd go to a gym to invest in your physical health. So, so yeah, so that's what Kintsugi is really all about. Yeah, it's great. And I think it sounds like a great thing you're doing there. And um, talking about Kintsugi, I think it's a really interesting concept of that, that um, beauty coming out of the scars almost, yeah. as you say. And um which reminds me of a certain um, point in the book where you quote someone who says something along the lines of, we need the darkness as much as the light. Yeah. And I think you go on to comment and say, like, maybe it's time we stopped rushing yeah. to get through the dark patches. Could you say anything about that, about this? Maybe actually, because for me, when I read that, that was quite a, almost a revolutionary thought that, hey, maybe it's not all about, I'm in this dark place, get me out of here. Yeah. It's a case of, let's do something. There's a reason I'm here. Yeah, or, absolutely. And I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because darkness traditionally is sort of seen as vampires, depression, gangs, like every connotation to do with darkness is often negative. Um, and yeah, obviously we need the darkness. Um, creation needs the darkness. And uh, and I think what the darkness does sometimes when it comes into our lives, it, it challenges our values and it says actually what's really, really important here. Because um, you can't see ahead in the same way you have to trust god in a completely different way i think it challenges your values and you know that was interesting when i did that um i studied a little bit throughout the bible you know it's like abraham um god revealed to abraham you know like your descendants will be more numerous than the stars he you can see stuff in the darkness you can't see in the light you can see the stars in the darkness you can't see them in the light um jacob wrestled with god in the darkness um it was um jesus in the desert you know um, left the desert fully but actually it says he left the desert full of the power of the holy spirit um so he didn't leave the desert feeling absolutely exhausted and shattered um something happened in that 40 days 40 nights in the desert and so yeah i think it's a really important point that um you know we need the darkness and uh um, I think I say in the book that my favourite game as a kid was hide and seek, but in the dark. Um, that sense of I could always hear my dad, like, you know, and I'd be like, <gasps> um, and and actually, if you're in the dark long enough, your eyes start to adjust, you start to see things um, that you didn't see before. And and actually that sense of excitement as well um, can be there. Yeah, I, th I think you, you say that in the book as well, don't you? And, and it resonates is that there's a kind of, a deeper you have a deeper appreciation of things that you otherwise wouldn't have had yeah. before and um maybe it's like paul who was in prison and he said oh i've learned to be content and and maybe the bigger challenge isn't necessarily overcoming the difficulty but learning to live in it or yeah is that... and the interesting thing about paul isn't it is that actually um he says i've learned to be content in all things so it was a it was a process it wasn't born content um you know and then you you look at what you went through and you think flipping heck 
<laughs> I mean, it was like I've been beaten this time, shipwrecked, been in prison. And, you know, it's really interesting. I, I've literally just been thinking about this last couple of days. You know, you have Paul and Silas in prison. Um, and uh, at 12 o'clock at night, they've just been beaten. So they've got open wounds. Their legs are in stocks. They've been stretched probably. Um, it's 12 o'clock at night. They're in agony. And they decide to sing songs to God. Um, and you think that is an incredible scene. But then you go on and Paul's in prison again in Ephesus. Um, and uh, I reckon he must have done the same routine. Do you know what I mean? He must have thought, oh, there was an earthquake last time. That worked pretty well. <laughs> um, he must have thought, I'm going to yeah. pray. I'm going to sing God. Nothing. He stays there for ages, you know. And it's almost like whether you come God or not, I'm still going to give you praise. Um, and actually, there's a massive difference between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, Paul's in a really dark place. And it's partly all the stuff he's been through, but actually it's because all the internal politics in the church in Corinth as well. So he's in this really pit of a place. Um, but it's almost like in that pit, he gets a real vision of who Jesus is. And I think that was like the New Testament church is like when they were like really down, really persecuted, it's almost like they got a bigger vision of who Jesus was as well. Because I guess you need him more, right? And uh, so, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. And the Bible's full of that stuff, but we don't often preach about it. It's so interesting, isn't it, how it's only just really coming out of the cracks now. And you look at that old, the, the ancient texts and yeah. and actually you can see Paul, it, one of the epistles he sort of talks about, I can't remember who it was, it's like Onesimus or someone who he yeah. says, who was life was spared and he was, and I can't, now I can't quote it um, on the spot, but he talks about being, he was grateful that he was grieved, you know, one or spared one more grievance, which would have been just yeah. too much for me to bear. Yeah, um, yeah I think absolutely, yeah. And he's really, really, you know, Paul's very, very human side as well. And uh, I think it's beautiful. And obviously you've got that beautiful bit in um, Corinthians where it talks about that we are jars of clay being broken. And the interesting thing about jars of clay in that culture was they were made with the finest clay. In other words, they were made to be fragile which I think is fascinating. They were made to break. So if you put a lamp inside of them, the lamp would get, you know, the light would get out and creating something quite beautiful. And I was saying to my team, you know, that just fascinates me that we was almost designed to be fragile. We were designed to share our weaknesses. We were designed, because maybe that makes us human. And um, people connect much more with your scars than your success stories. Um, and yet our preaching is sometimes success story after success story after success story. And then you sit in there in the, you know, you're thinking, I'm feeling a bit rubbish about myself now because I can't relate to any of that. <laughs> and it's not like, you know, that stuff is bad. It's quite nice to hear sometimes. But I think it's just that sense of balance. And actually, when you read the Bible, 40% of the Psalms are laments. So that's 40% is like David just crying out to God. I just don't get it. I'm, un I'm upset. I'm losing. My enemies are winning. I'm lonely. I don't get it. And if you translate that into 40% of our worship songs or 40% of our sermons, <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be that, would it? Um, yes. So, and and, I, and I, I just think how fascinating the Psalms have been sung and read at some of the darkest times in history. There are stories of people at late at night in the Holocaust in Auschwitz reading the Psalms. And going, I'm going to trust you, God. Um, the darkest probably place in our history. You know, it's incredible, really. I think that um, that what God does, yeah. 
so we've all got these, you know, what you're saying about that going back, it's really interesting and, and right up to the present day, we've all got these problems. And if I could summarise your kind of message in some ways, well, I guess it's the subtitle of your book is it's okay not to be okay and, and to be honest and transparent about these things. And, and that's how we help one another because if we walk around looking like we've got it all together, mm. we're just kind of keeping up. A, everyone knows it's a facade and, um, you know, it's just not reality. But what, what do we... Um, how do we go about kind of sharing these things because you speak in your book about paul talks about boasting in his weakness um but how do you feel about talking your about your problems to others say um do you you know i feel for myself sometimes if i feel absolutely rubbish do i share this with um an unbeliever is that a bad testimony or or is it okay or is it we should just have a small group of people we share with and not everyone or or how do we how do we go about sharing yeah, it's it's um it's an interesting question. I think there there is a sense of wisdom, um, context, and uh, you know I would say to people find safe people, um, people you feel safe with, because I think what safe people do is they don't judge you, um, because actually if you're going through a tough time, you don't often want to be rescued, um, you don't want loads of advice. In fact, advice can sometimes just stress you out even more. Um, it's like who are those people that will just listen? and uh be there for you offer to pray for you if you want it um you know it's safe people and i think everyone needs some safe people in their lives um and and i think that's that's really really important and and safe people often you know naturally draw you closer to jesus anyway um and uh yeah and you you know you know those people often who they are and so i think everyone needs some safe people who they can chat to um yeah so yeah i i'm just almost thinking as you talk is it like we should have people who who are close to us that we can really pour out on, into yeah. but then maybe we should but we can still be speaking to other people and say well guess what i have struggled with or i am struggling with without sort of on the same level but being honest enough that they know that we've we've been through that because i was just um talking earlier um and you know we were saying that if um if I don't share, I've had this problem, then someone in my connections, my work circle or whatever may go through the problem, say it's depression, yeah. and they may think, well, who can I talk to about this? Yeah, and they sure, don't know yeah. anyone. Whereas if they know yeah, you've yeah. had something, yeah. oh, Jason's had it or Patrick's had it, we can talk yeah. to them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, I mean, I have a folder in my office um, from the emails I've got back from Honesty Over Silence, the book, um, and i mean it's heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time you know in terms of what people have been through and the sort of shame and i think that's the key thing is shame is often that driver to why you keep things quiet i, I always say you know brene brown does some brilliant work on this she talks about shame um being that sense of i'm wrong that sense of worthlessness so guilt is i've done something wrong shame is i am wrong and she will say, shame, love, silence, secrecy, and judgment. Now, it has two voices. Who do you think you are? And you're not enough. And it's almost like those voices could act on a loop in your head, particularly if you just keep stuff to yourself the whole time. And, uh, and so it is. It's finding safe people. And it's, you know, there's context. There's obviously times where it's appropriate and not appropriate. But um, I think we should be a bit more courageous. You know, it's often when someone shares their heart and goes, you know, I'm really struggling with this. You don't go, oh, that's what a weak person useless i'm not talking to them you go oh wow i can really relate to that um really appreciate you sharing that um because it makes me feel less alone 
and uh, and I think that's good. I think we need, you know, it's interesting. There's a survey come out recently talking about authentic relationships, friendships, and people going, you know what? I haven't actually got many people I can just be really real with, and that's because we keep up this facade, um, and we keep it at a surface level. You know, um, men have some of the highest suicide rates. Um, and you ask an average guy how many really close friends have you got? Um, they're struggling, you know. Um, well, a couple, maybe. Um, would you tell them this? No, <laughs> like you know, it's like. Um, and so the the thought about the well being groups is the reason we made it twelve weeks is like, you know, the rules are it's non judgmental. It's a safe and supportive space. It's like we can discuss these things. There was a really interesting week actually that we were doing a week on um. Uh, I think it was healthy relationships or something. And uh, Di, my wife, was leading it. And she asked us to all write down our biggest fear and put it in an envelope. It's anonymous. Um, put it in the table. And then you take someone else's envelope um, and read out the biggest fear. Um, so we were all like, oh, my goodness, I'm sure I want to do this. And uh, so I put mine down. But I wrote health anxiety. And, uh, and then someone picked it up and went, uh, health anxiety. Next envelope, health anxiety. Third envelope. So like four of us out of 10 had written health anxiety. Um, none of us had ever told each other that in the group. And then we were all going, oh, yeah, do you do that thing when you Google, when you've got a headache and, you know, you suddenly got brain tumor. And you're like, yeah. And then actually there's some really dark humor that came into it then. But it was like almost like it was like this relief. Oh, my goodness. We're just like each other. Um, and there was an energy that came from that, you know. And so I do think there is. We've got to create a culture. If you define culture as the way we do things around here, we've got to have a much more real and authentic culture. Yeah, I think that's gold um, because particularly in today's age where often maybe younger people look at success as the amount of Instagram followers you've got or the yeah. amount of Facebook friends you have. And it's like actually you need two people with whom you can properly. Yeah, um, and I think success, you know, is interesting, isn't it, what we've made it. I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this recently as well. I think success, um, we've res results with productivity you know it's like how many views you got how many people watch your podcast how many is this how many is that success and you said this off air really actually is success is living by your values and if your values are to make a difference if your values are generosity if, if your values are restoration healing um kindness then actually um you know I often say to people if your value is community and you work every hour god sends you yeah, but you've got loads of money, you're not living by your values because you don't you've got no community in your life. You've got no relationship. Um and and so I think a really good question is what is my values as a person? You know, what are the kingdom values? What what does what does Christ call me to be? Am I living by those values? Because your values will inform your behavior. Your values are like prioritization. This is what's the most important thing to me. Um so for me it's not just what you do, it's how you do it. Um, and I think that's 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 so important in this sort of success-driven, uh, results-driven culture that we find ourselves in. Yeah, and maybe actually success is is more involved than than as you're saying that it's making me think that maybe success is more involved in all of this than we realise. Because as you say, and you know, I know what it is to constantly feel like I'm not doing well enough and yeah. I'm not like achieving high enough yeah. enough. And there's almost this constant like nagging in the back of your mind going, go on, go on, go on, push harder, push harder, yeah. because you're not a somebody yet. Um, and actually, that's not healthy. No. And it goes back to what Paul was saying, wasn't it? Being content in all things. Um, so you are enough. 
um you know and we need you to be more you we need you to be more jason because you've got unique gifts that i just don't have and and we just want those to be expressed in all the creativity and all the stuff that you can bring um is so important we don't want you to be like anyone else and and to live in a culture that constantly says you're not enough um or who do you think you are is is is, is massive you know um so we've got to we've got to respond with um listening to an alternative voice and i think that's part of the challenge with mental health if, if, if i'm honest i sort of feel like we've taken verses like um take captive every four in corinthians you know and I, the way i used to see it, I, I used to hear this preached in that every time a negative thought comes in your head you just bash it in the name of jesus you quote <laughs> scripture at it you know and i don't know about you jason but like every time i try not to think about something the more i think about it you know, I'm just like I'm like I'm just like there's the worst thing in it when someone says to you, if you can't sleep, you know, well just um stop fit and you just think I can't sleep, I can't yeah. sleep. And then just like you you definitely can't sleep now because that's all you're thinking about. And uh and you know, my mate said it's a little bit like this. He said, If you can imagine the thoughts as uh, trains coming into a railway station, you know, you can stand in that railway station or the London Underground and you can shout at the train, You're not coming in the name of Jesus. The fact is the train's gonna arrive every two minutes um and he was like maybe taking captive every thought is more around choosing whether i'm going to get on the train or not um it's like a bit like saying at the start you know it's, it's sometimes choosing what not to do and not just what to do um maybe i'm not going to let that thought take me into that really dark negative place today i'm going to try my best to stay off of it and the way you do that is actually going is that what god says over me is that what my best mate would say over me and um and then you start saying, bringing some of that to mind. And you're going, actually, this is, you know, we make our weakness our identity. And actually saying, um, no, this isn't, this is part of me. It's not the whole of me. And I think that's really important. Yeah, no, that's that's really good. Um, reminds me of the old saying, you can, can't stop the birds flying yeah. over your head, but you can stop making a nest. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. Which is helpful. Uh, you mentioned just a bit before about male suicide uh, figures, and it is the biggest killer of men under 40, right? Yeah. Um, is that because we don't open up enough or, or what can what can be done about this? How do we is can we change this? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the short answer is, yeah, I think it is. I think we don't talk about this stuff enough. Um, and I think that we do need to change culture. Um, and, and I think it's a huge issue because I think it's the sort of culture that, you know, males present often and media present and, and all sorts of things. Um, I think sometimes where guys have opened up and it's gone wrong, then that makes them withdraw completely as well. So it, it is a really sensitive issue. But again, I go back to how do we create safe and supportive space? Um, because if you feel safe and you feel supported, the likelihood is you're going to go for it. Um, if you're not going to feel judged, if you're not going to be told uh, you don't have enough faith, um, all, all those things that we can sometimes with the best intentions in the world, um, you know, trying to help people, we say. Um, we've got to work through all that. And I sort of feel like if not now, then when, you know, with the issues around mental health, the coronavirus, the pandemic that we're going through, it's like now is the time, surely, to have a culture change in this area. Yeah, yeah. And so what what is the best thing we can do for someone who maybe, because um, we often talk about the sufferers, and rightly so, of these conditions, but as you know, sometimes it's people next to them that also go through a lot. Yeah. And, and what's the best thing that people... Who are next to them can do to support um, and look after themselves. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point because um, it's interesting. And actually, in When Faith Gets Shaken, um, Diane, my wife, wrote a book called Secondhand Smoke, a chapter called Secondhand Smoke. And the whole idea is secondhand smoke can still kill you. Um, you know, you might not be the one smoking, but if you're standing next to someone smoking, you can still get lung cancer. And and I think there's probably a lack of caring for the carer a little bit and thinking that through, um, thinking that, like those traumatic experiences. So I think the best thing that we could do is realise what is our responsibility and what's not our responsibility. And we are not called to fix people, um, you know, and uh, that we're called to um, love people, we're called to be Jesus people, we're not called to fix them. And uh, and so it's bringing them into a place where they feel like they can get that help and they can get that support. But I think it's taken off that sort of rescuer mentality. Um, we are not the saviour. Only Jesus can rescue people. It's a classic thing in counsellor. You know, as a counsellor, you're not the rescuer. Um, you're there to be there, that safe person. And I think that's that's a really important um, thing to realise when you're trying to support people. Yeah, uh, that's um, that's really helpful. Um. So, and how, how do we know when we have a problem? Like, um, now I'm slightly asking you to be a counsellor now, but, um, you know. Well, I'm, not, I'm not a good counsellor. <laughs> you're asking the wrong person. So, I mean, where, at what point should we start taking seriously? Because it feels to me like there's a spectrum of these things. Like, yeah. all of us are going to, at some point, go through down periods yeah. or have anxiety over things. Like, if you've got a job interview or whatever, that's completely yeah. normal. But then there's a point where actually this isn't normal anymore and we should probably get help. And I just, I sometimes wonder whether part of or some of the problems is they don't get well diagnosed maybe we just think oh it's just normal until actually it gets drastic or yeah or not i don't know yeah i think i think you're right i, I think the other thing to say about anxiety is that anxiety is really helpful at times isn't it um you know and we all need anxiety otherwise um <laughs> you know we'd be very dangerous people um and so i think that's really important now, the other thing i'd say about anxiety is also is that i've known that a lot of people that struggle with anxiety um Anxiety isn't weakness. I think that's the key thing for me, that people that struggle with anxiety are often sensitive, loving, caring, considerate. In fact, they're more loving and considerate than a lot of other. They're just so sensitive, and we need them, actually. Um, but it's like the flip side of the coin. Um, it's almost like the car alarm or the smoke alarm. Smoke alarms are very helpful if they're going off all the time. It's annoying. It's annoying for you, and it's annoying for everyone else. <laughs> um and and I guess that's the key to the answer to your question is like if the smoke alarm's going off all the time, if it's affecting your daily life, then um, then actually that's probably a time to to make sure you get some help. Um, yeah. Whereas you know, and and there's a big difference between worry and anxiety. I think the two often get chucked together. Um, worry can be quite useful. I worry a little bit about being on time. The result of that is I'm on time um anxiety is almost like those something i feel in my body it's not particularly helpful at times um it can be a lot more uh controlling um and so yeah so it's important to to really look into this stuff okay so one more question before we move on to our quick fire uh, round yeah um i think it's oswald chambers said something along the lines of self-pity is of the devil and if i wallow in it i can be of no use to god or something like yeah. that so I think about it from time to time and how do we balance kind of self-care and compassion with self-pity and yeah I mean the thing is like self-care or self-compassion and self-pity are two very very different things and um you know I often when I went to see my counselor she went um 
I think you need to be more self-compassionate. And I was like, yeah, that, that was stupid. Um, you know, one is, I sort of used to think of that as like candles and baths and I'm a geezer. I don't want that in my life. And, <laughs> uh, and she was like, you have so got a bad definition of what self-compassion is. I think self-compassion actually takes a lot of discipline. Um, it means I'm going to watch what I eat. Um, it means I'm going to exercise. It means, um, true self-compassion is talking to yourself the way that you would talk to your best friend we are our own biggest critics i wouldn't dare talk to you the way i would talk to me myself i wouldn't dare go away from this interview going you know oh, all the things i did you know i just wouldn't do it and um and i think that that's that's the big difference and i think sometimes that um we need to realize the difference i think self-compassion and self-esteem are different self-compassion and self-pity are different I think self-pity puts you in a very, very negative place and it be almost like victim mentality where, like, you know, um, everyone's against you. Um, that is so different. It is a million miles away, in fact, um, because there's no discipline in that at all. Um, so, yeah, very, very, two very, very different concepts. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's move on to our quickfire questions now then. Um, so what one thing do you know now that you wish you'd known as a 20-year-old? Um, probably that self-compassion and self-indulgence are two very different things. Um, I used to think that was just selfish. And so I, I showed myself no self-compassion whatsoever, just worked myself into the ground. Yeah. Um, how do you keep going through discouragement slash dark night of the soul? A day at a time. Great answer. Um, what would be your top book recommendation? And you're not allowed to say the Bible. Uh, I'd say The Gifts of Imperfection by Brené Brown. Okay. Um, I know it's quick fire, but would you like to say anything else about that book? It's just brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's looking at wholehearted living. Um, I think perfectionism is one of the biggest issues of our time, actually. And, uh, um, yeah, if you haven't read any of Brené Brown's stuff, I would thoroughly recommend it. We'll look that up. I think I've only watched something on TED that she did which yeah. was two ted talks which were very very good yeah um, right. genius the vulnerability one i think yeah um if you could send a tweet sized message to 18 to 30 year olds what would it say um go gently be mindful about what you're thinking and show others and yourself compassion patrick thank you so much for being with us today we really appreciate you giving of your time and um yeah, we look forward to seeing you. You've got a new book coming out, is that correct? Yeah, Bouncing Forward. So um, looking at resilience, um, one of the really key things I've thought about during this time is resilience by definition is thriving in the midst of adversity. Um, and as I thought, there's no better time to be talking about resilience. And when I studied it, it was fascinating. Um, a lot of people define resilience as bouncing back. You notice in the news at the moment, we're talking about the economy bouncing back, this bouncing back. Um, new research says resilience is less about bouncing back it's about bouncing forward we've been changed by what's happened life changes us and so it's taking the good and the bad and learning how do I thrive in the midst of adversity how do I bounce forward through this um, so yeah it's grappling with all those things which has been fascinating um, to write um, but I'm very glad I'm nearly at the end of it <laughs> that sounds good well when can we get hold of that uh, it's probably February 2021 Oh, so you can't go on the Christmas list, but we'll... Uh, no, nearly, nearly. We'll look yeah. forward to having that, reading that as our Easter present or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Patrick, and uh, take care and God bless. Thank you. 
Well, thank you very much, Patrick, for your time. We enjoyed the conversation. Apologies again for breaking your shed door. Uh, listeners, friends, don't worry about it. Another conversation for another day. Um, but we would love to hear from you. Um, we've now kind of drawn to a close. This is the last episode in this series. So we'd love to know what you thought about this episode. We'd love to know what you thought about the series as a whole. Uh, please do get in touch with us. Drop us a DM uh, on Instagram at make underscore you underscore known or just right here in the comments section or wherever. Um, so that's it for now. Until next week when Valley and I, who've made the series, will just be sitting down to have a little conversation about the kind of whys and wherefores of, of this whole endeavour. And um, hopefully that will be a little bit enlightening if you're interested. Thank you very much, guys. Take care.